Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Learn to Lead podcast brought to you by Ability, an experiential learning company based in beautiful Austin, Texas. I'm your host, Matthew Confer, and today on the show, we have Andrew Tarvin, the founder and CEO of Humor That Works. Andrew's work has been featured by the Wall Street Journal and Forbes, and he has worked with people at more than 200 organizations in more than 18 countries around the world. Thanks so much for joining us today, Andrew. Uh, Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm going to start by diving into your bio, which identifies you as the world's first humor engineer, teaching people how to get better results while having more fun. So how do you describe what a humor engineer does and why is humor so important? Uh, it's a great question. And that the, the world's first is based on a Google search, because if you used to search for a humor engineer, you used to get just jokes about engineers, uh, some of which were, were funny as an engineer. Some of them were insulting, uh, but mostly good. Uh, but now if you Google humor engineer, you get me as a top result and then mostly jokes about engineers. But uh, the title itself came from, as you can probably guess, was self kind of proclaimed. And it comes from the fact that my degree is in computer science and engineering. And so when I was working at Procter & Gamble as an IT project manager, I was you know, solving problems in the workplace using things like technology and spreadsheets and uh, computers and programming, et cetera. And as I started this evolution and started helping people be more effective in the workplace using humor, I realized, oh, in a way I'm solving workplace challenges with humor that makes me sound like a a humor engineer. So that's where it came from, became self-proclaimed, started uh, putting it out there. And then the crazy thing is that people started referring to me as the the humor engineer as well. So it just kind of took off. Hmm. What what was a defining moment when you think about getting you to the place that you are? You talked about your original work in maybe a more traditional corporate America sense. If, If you think back or you could distill it to one defining moment, can you do that? Does something pop to mind? I mean, I, I wish I had the super sexy story of, you know, I was in a meeting one day and I just had this like boom moment and I flipped over the table and like left and like had that like compelling story. And it was more of an evolution for me. Uh, it was a, a period of time where, you know, in my own work, I started using humor for myself first and started to realize, oh, this is what's getting people to pay attention. If I use humor in a meeting, they actually listen to what I'm talking about. If I use humor in an email, they actually respond to what I've requested. If I use humor even for my own work, I'm more engaged in it. And the closest thing that I can kind of point to a moment was, uh, I remember coming out of a meeting at PNG and my coworker pulled me aside and she was like, I just want to thank you. And I had no idea why she was thanking me. So of course I was like, you know, it is about time. Uh, why exactly? are you thanking me? And she was like, I, I just want to thank you for, for making this project fun. And through a little bit of conversation, she basically you know, came to say that before joining my team, she was stressed out and she was worried and she was thinking about quitting because she wasn't enjoying what she was doing. And then she realized through working with me and how we had run things on my team was that, you know, she said, you, no one ever told you to use humor. You just decided to. Uh, so thank you. And it gave her permission to use humor as well. And that, that moment was one moment where I was like, that is interesting. Why don't more people use this skill that I think is so beneficial 
uh, in the workplace. And if people aren't teaching you it, because we're, we're not learning it in business school, you very rarely are, you know, uh, finding it in a business book. If that's not the case, then can I be that person that helps other people understand how valuable it can be? Hmm. There's a post on your website that's entitled 10 Benefits of Creating a Humor Culture for Organizations. We don't necessarily have time to go through all 10, but how can an organization start to cultivate humor? I think if I'm, if I'm asking the question that maybe some of our listeners are asking, there maybe is some fear and trepidation in that. How can we start or where is a good place to start? Well, it's a fantastic question because, you know, to that, that, to that point of like, why don't people use humor more if it's so beneficial? We wanted to understand that. So we ran a study through our site. We found that the number one reason why people don't use humor is because they don't think that their boss or coworkers would approve, right? Exactly to your point, they're feeling a little bit intimidated or a little bit nervous. And, and what that means is a couple of things. One is from a culture perspective, if people on, if you're a leader and people on your team aren't laughing constantly, if they're not using stories, if they're not, uh, you know, friendly with each other, or enjoying their work, then you're probably part of the reason why, right? Not intentionally, probably not maliciously, but for whatever reason, they feel like they can't use humor. And one of the best ways to start to encourage humor, whether you're the leader or the intern, is to use it effectively for yourself. Because once you start doing it, just like I did at PNG, start people start to notice. And it, it's not about using humor to be seen as funny, right? It's not like Michael Scott's begging for attention of like, you know, please people like me, but rather like, oh, can I start this presentation with the story so that people are listening? Or can I listen to some music while I'm being uh, while I'm going through email so I'm a little bit more engaged and productive and, and feeling you know better about the job? Or can I use humor here to relieve a little bit of stress and build better rapport with people in a, a virtual environment? And when you do it that way, when you're intentional about how you use your humor, one, people enjoy being around you more and reacting to you more, but also other people are like, oh, wow, they're able to do that and it was effective. Maybe I can do it for myself. I mean, there's certainly other things you can do in terms of encouraging it. You can hire an, a humor engineer to come in and teach your organization, but it ultimately starts first with you doing it so that people can mirror that behavior. One of the things that I, I love about hosting the show is we get to reach out to some of our followers on our Instagram page and, and sometimes get really interesting questions back from them. And we actually got a question specifically about you coming on the show. And the question was this, what is your funniest failure and what did you learn from it? Uh, it's a great question. My funniest failure, well, I don't know if it's funny necessarily to me, but it is um, very informative in the, the funny space. And that is uh, the fourth time I ever did stand-up comedy, I bombed terribly. So just to give a little bit of context, I am not a life of the party type person. You know, I, I talk about in my TEDx talk, when people from my high school found out that I did comedy, they were shocked because they're like, but you're not funny, right? I'm not that stereotypical funny person. I'm an engineer. I'm an introvert. And my introduction into humor was in, in university at Ohio State. Me and some friends started an improv comedy group because my best friend wanted to start a group and needed people and forced me to join. And from that, we started to then do a little bit of stand-up. So it's not like I knew that I was funny and I'm always going to rock it or anything like that. It was always a very nerve-wracking experience early on. So the fourth show that I ever did was in front of uh, about 200 people at Ohio State. It was for a stand-up comedy competition. 
Um, they had brought in guest judges. So they brought in Mark Curry, who was on the TV show, Hanging with Mr. Cooper, a comedian named Joe, Joe Coy, who's since gone on to do a bunch of Netflix specials and things like that, and Daniel Tosh. And this was before Tosh.0 on, on Comedy Central, but still pretty big name comedians. They sat the comedians on stage with us performing and they gave us critiques basically right after. It was the first time that my parents uh, were watching me perform, first time that my family was, biggest audience I'd ever performed with. And I get three and a half minutes into the set and I blank. I completely forget the thing that I was gonna say next. And because I had memorized everything word for word, I could not, like I just stood on stage for 30 seconds looking at my feet, apologizing. And it was painful. And for a while, it, it bothered me, but then I, I saw this interview with Dave Chappelle from years ago, and he said that he knew he could be successful in comedy when he bombed really badly for the first time, because in his context, his mindset, he was like, this is the worst that can happen in this profession. In stand-up comedy, the worst you can do is you can bomb terribly, and it doesn't feel good, but that's about it, and if he's already bombed that terribly, he can only go up from there. And so that's what it taught me. One, at a tactical level, not to memorize everything word for word, but to be a little bit more extemporaneous when speaking. So that's a great public speaking tip. But on a bigger picture, recognizing that uh, failure is just data. And me bombing in that scenario just meant that I wasn't caught properly prepared. I hadn't prepared the right way. And in the future, I can get around that. And even though it was terrible, it's not the end of the world. And I can be successful in that. Hmm. It's a great story. And and one thing that came up when you were talking is you mentioned that your friends or even you would not describe you as a necessarily a funny individual to start. And a decent chunk of our listeners are managers of people. And one of the things that you talk about or write about is how to include humor or humor elements into all that you do at work. When it comes to managing other individuals, how do some of us dip our toe into actually utilizing humor in the way you describe it that can increase productivity, maybe reduce the stress of our team? Is there one or two easy ways to start to dip our toe into that water? Absolutely. I mean, I think the starting point for anyone wanting to use humor in the workplace is to start first with yourself. Uh, and so one of the examples, it's a silly example, but it's, it's an effective one because it's a mindset change. And that's what I say is, you know, when I'm going through email, if I'm getting bored in an email, I'll start to read each of the emails in a different accent in my head. And it's a silly thing. And the accents are always terrible because I'm terrible at accents or like an Arnold Schwarzenegger impression or whatever, but it keeps me engaged in my own work. And the thing is that no matter what type of work environment I am in, no one can stop me from doing that, right? Because people can't control how I think. So no boss can come up to me and be like, hey, you're reading emails in an accent in your head. Stop it, right? So starting there with your own work to say, how can I make it a little bit more fun? What we call playing your work. Can you turn that task into a little bit of a job? Or sorry, that task into a little bit of a game, right? Whether that's full-on gamification, like if you are into, um, you know, the RPG uh, Todoist uh, or To-Do List app, um, which I'm blanking on the name for name of right here in this moment. Um, but can you turn it into a game? Sales teams a lot of times do that. Can you gamify like a, a leadership board? Uh, Duolingo, if you're learning a new language, there's game element, uh, elements there of uh, XP and winning and leaderboards and things like that. You can do that either as an individual or as a team. Uh, the other thing, especially starting out early on, is using humor strategically for stress management. 
uh, because you know growth and uh, productivity gains come from stress, right? Stress is how we grow. It's not inherently bad. What is bad is when we don't relieve that stress. And so we can be intentional either as individuals and as leaders to encouraging people to manage that stress. So taking just a few minutes to say, hey, that was just a stressful meeting that we had. So I found this funny YouTube clip that's three minutes long that we're gonna end this meeting with and, and all laugh a little bit so we can you know, be a little bit more present for our family when we hang up today. Or I'm gonna listen to some music while, in this, while stuck in this commute so that I can have a little bit more fun. Or I'm gonna listen to a great uh, uh, podcast hosted by uh, the wonderful Matthew Coffer. Like whatever it is, uh, Comfort, the, I, I'm trying to give you, I'm trying to praise you and I mess up your last name in the process of doing it. Um, but all of those small things are, you know, great places to start to start to develop a little bit of a humor habit. Hmm. One thing that really fascinated about me when, or about you when we first connected is your work starting out at Procter & Gamble. And that is immensely different from running your own organization, which is what you do now. And I'm curious with all of our guests and specifically with you, given your background and the trajectory that you had, how do you personally think about risk-taking? There's a lot of risk inherent in starting your own thing. And how did you decide to make that leap? Yeah, it's interesting because... Uh... I'm a project manager by training, and so I'm relatively risk adverse. And it's interesting because I don't, I didn't necessarily think of leaving PNG as a huge risk. Or when I became a uh, a nomad for 18 months and traveled out of two carry-on bags pre-pandemic, I didn't necessarily see it as much of a, a risk. And the the reason why was because of the upfront planning. And so when I started to explore this idea of you know starting my own company and leaving the the comfort and security of a job at a place like PNG, I created a spreadsheet. Uh, I'm an engineer, love spreadsheets. And so I created a spreadsheet of everything that I needed to accomplish before I'd feel comfortable leaving from, from PNG terminology and maybe marketing terminology in general, that spreadsheet was my reason to believe. It was a reason for me to be able to believe that I could be successful. So it included things like, you know, make sure that I have a website up and running, make sure I have some video of me speaking, have some testimonials, uh, have X number of clients that I've served, have made X number of dollars for this as a side hustle, have a little bit of savings saved up. So if I make zero money for a period of time, I would be okay. And once I checked off all of those things, I felt comfortable leaving because it's like, oh, I've already proven to myself I can do some of this. So I'm not just like jumping both feet in right away and hoping that it works, but I was proving to myself I could in fact do it. The other thing that I would do with any big decision that I've made was, was around asking myself three questions. Um, the three questions are, first, uh, what's the worst that could happen? And uh, the answer is almost always death. The worst thing is like you could die from something depending on how it turns out. But a lot of times, depending on the scenario, the, the worst thing that could happen with me and leaving PNG was that I failed as an entrepreneur or I hated it. In which case, and it's like, okay, I'd probably have to get another corporate IT job. But I figured, okay, with PNG on the resume and being an, a computer engineer that has a little bit of social skill because of the improv, it's like, okay, I could probably get another job in corporate if I need to. Um, so the worst that could happen is I fail at it miserably, get another corporate job. Uh, the second question that I ask is, uh, when I get old and gray, what would I regret more not doing? And that just comes from the research that they've done with a lot of people who are uh, near end of life. Their regrets, when they talk about regrets, it's almost, a, almost always about what they didn't do and not what they did do. 
And so I wanted to give that future pace thinking of like, okay, what would I regret more not doing? And in this scenario, it'd be like, I would regret not trying it, giving it a go and seeing if it could work. And then the last question I ask is what would make for a more interesting story? Uh, because pretty early on in, in my career, I heard that kind of cliche advice that said, you know, if, if anyone wrote a book about your life, would, would anyone care to read it? And I've since learned then that it's, it's really more of if anyone wrote a book about your life, would you care to read it? Would you be interested in that story and the decisions that you as a main character made? And if you're ever like, wait, why is the main character working at this job that they hate every single day? Or why are they letting this one person make them miserable all the time? Or why did they never pursue that dream or X, Y, or Z? If, if that's kind of what you're thinking in that story, then you can kind of, well, you can rewrite the next chapter. And so those three questions, plus the very tactical spreadsheet gave me kind of the, the confidence to say, all right, let me give it a try and see what happens. Those three questions are wonderfully powerful and a really nice look at what you did and how you accomplished it and how you decided to make the leap. It's also a perfect way to segue to the final two questions that I get to ask all of our guests. And the first question is this, if you could describe your leadership style, but I only gave you one word to do it, what would that word be? Uh, I think most people would think that I would say humor. Uh, which is a very close second word, but um, the word that I would hope that it would be would be effective. That to me is what's most important is that what I do works. And the final rapid fire question is this, what is the best piece of advice that you have ever received? Best piece of advice, uh, it is, I think, cliche. Now, this is another cliche, but my manager, my first week on the job at Procter & Gamble said that it is better to beg for forgiveness than it is to ask for permission. And that was the advice that, that gave me the courage to start to use humor in the workplace. It gave me the courage to proclaim myself the corporate humorist of P&G while I was at P&G. And it gave me a little bit of that courage to then become the, later the self-proclaimed humor engineer. Well, closing out with courage is a great spot to end. Thank you so much for joining us today, Andrew. Where can our listeners find out more about you? Certainly. Well, if they're interested in using humor in the workplace uh, or getting more uh, connected to that, they can go to humorthatworks.com. We've got a bunch of free articles there, a link to the book that came out last year. Uh, we've got you know workshops and other things if people want more hands-on tactical stuff. But uh, combine all of that at humorthatworks.com. If they want to connect with me, either because they have specific questions or they love puns, because uh, that's most of what my social media feed seems to be is, is me sharing out puns and one-liners. They can follow me on all social media at Drew Tarvin, D-R-E-W-T-A-R-V as in Victor, I-N. Thanks for all the great insight, Andrew. And thank you to all our great listeners for joining us. If you enjoyed today's show, we would love a rating and review in your podcast app of choice. And we truly appreciate it when you share our show with your network. You can find me on social media at Matthew Confer. You can find our show on Instagram at Learn to Lead Podcast. And you can find our organization ability at ability.com. Be sure to subscribe so that you get our next episode. And I want to thank all of you for joining us on the Learn to Lead podcast. 